and welcome to the Best of the Dirt Series 1 in association with the Organic Gardening Catalogue. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine. And I'm Blake, Laura's deputy. Now you may have got used to our quick and dirty podcast episodes, but today strap yourselves in because we've got all of the best moments from the first series of The Dirt. So get the kettle on, grab a cup of tea and venture into the garden to get those jobs done that you've been putting off whilst we keep you company. We've had loads of great guests on this first series of The Dirt and now is the perfect time to take a look back at the growing season so far and the tips, tricks and of course disasters they shared along the way. So without further ado, let's dive into our first set of clips, some failures and lessons from our guests. As you know, we are all about those things in the garden that didn't quite go to plan, aren't we, Laura? We certainly are. With age does come a bit of wisdom. <laughs> but back when I was back in my 20s, I did some crazy things. I, I remember one year I, I wanted to grow more carrots. I was organic approved in those days. I had a symbol and I, there was a big shortage of organic carrots. And I thought, well, this shouldn't be too difficult. And I hired a guy to rotivate half an acre of ground. And then he had a drill and he drilled carrot seeds in half an acre. And they came up, and then so did the chickweed. Oh, Uh, no. Three of us spent a whole day hoeing the chickweed, and then it drizzled a bit. This was spring, and the chickweed basically carried on growing. (laughs) And the following week, oh, and another go. So we hoed again. Chickweed kept on growing. We hoed a third time. We never got on top of that chickweed, and I never harvested one single carrot from that half acre. But you had half an acre of chickweed, unfortunately. (laughs) Basically, yeah. Do you know what? I did manage to sell a bit. or things that you know haven't gone to plan but you know you've maybe got a bit of a laugh out of it. Do you know I think my biggest failure this year has been my inability to grow a gherkin and I have been trying for <laughs> two years and I just produce in the words of Royal Darsenal's cumbers like they're just massive <laughs> and there'll be a tiny one so I grew them at the allotment the year before and um, really sunny spot and they were doing quite well and then overnight they just turned into these beasts so I was like right this isn't going to work I'm going to have to take them to the garden do them in the greenhouse where I can keep an eye on them and then literally about 30 meters from my back door and I'll see one I'll be like perfect size for pickling and then I honestly hours later I feel like it's just massive and I mean, it obviously <laughs> isn't happening in that short time frame but it's amazing I feel like you need to constantly watch them so I've just decided <laughs> me and gherkins we just don't we haven't got that kind of a relationship um and it's such yeah, a shame as not, well because they're the so good I know I You go, well, I won't bother doing that again. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, and I think that's really the art of gardening. It's kind of a, I think your wisdom is born from error when it comes to gardening. So you kind of try stuff, you move around. And I think that's pretty much the fun in it, isn't it? And as you, as like the years go by, you get more wisdom and you get better at it. And yeah. you, you, you know, and I think just that not being afraid to try stuff is quite important. And then you'll do other stuff, which is incredibly successful. I remember I, I bought in, I was the first guy to bring in um, David Austin. So you're getting a jungle. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm a very lazy gardener, Charles. So I have to admit, I'm the same. And you had to sort of hack your way through my garden to the back gate this year. But I'm, sti- but I'm still yeah. trying to find ways to use the tomatoes now. So it all turned out well. I wouldn't normally admit these things, but in the safety of, you know, the comfort of the dirt podcast, I think it's yeah. okay. Yeah, well, it is good because that does make people... Not everyone has time to complete everything they want to do either. So you know, sometimes you wonder, oh, God, is that going to suffer? And, then you make discovery, maybe it's actually not so bad after all. But generally speaking, I wouldn't recommend you to not side you too much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We will I, do, better actually, next I'll do better next year. I'll do better next year, yeah. <laughs>
which was a weird <laughs> sight. Yeah, I mean, every year, I, I feel that there's there's something that doesn't quite go well every year. But I've, I've learned to accept that. You can't always expect everything to go well because then when it does, it, it the negativity hits you twice as hard. So it's just trying to mm-hmm. keep it real. And, and so um, last year, what didn't go quite so well? Well, the year before, the broad beans were utter failure. And, and oddly, last year, mm-hmm they didn't work quite as well either. So what I'm doing this year is trying to sow them earlier because if we try and sow them and overwinter them, usually our winters are just way too cold um, for mm. for that to be effective. Mm-hmm. And then it's really sporadic and it doesn't really look very neat. But to try and overcome this year, I'm going to yeah sow them in, in um, late February. And, uh, and so, yeah, broad beans um, were one. Uh, another thing that I have always struggled with but actually last year worked really well um were cabbages and i think i don't know i think i just managed to sow them the right time and um and be patient and and make sure they had plenty of compost and something else that has always been a struggle with us were onion sets and i know i'm kind of including successes with the failures but i think the two work hand in hand so we've always had issues with onions and getting things like Mm. rust on them and 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 mildew but last year was the best year uh, of onions i just grew them from sets started them in mid-march then planted them out um started them in modules planted them out about i don't know three or four weeks later and it was such an amazing crop and the, the the thing that I really want to um, exemplify here is that if something doesn't work in, in a garden, there's there's always another way round or another way of doing it. It's like, how do you count up to 10? Mm-hmm. Five plus five, yes, but also six plus four or seven plus three. There's there's more than one way of doing it. So, so what I've learned yeah. is if something doesn't quite work, change it until it does work. I think sometimes... That's a really, really good point. And sometimes... Yeah, more recently, like last year, so I told my daughter, look, she loves pumpkins, loves them for Halloween. We also make them into soup, absolutely, you know, fantastic. So I said to her, like, we're going to grow the biggest pumpkin. Like, your dad is going to have the biggest pumpkin in his garden <laughs> for you to show all your friends. So we plant the seeds, and then I got, I got muddled up. Oh, I had an, an absolute nightmare. I didn't label anything. Oh, dear. <laughs> right? And then, so we got, we did get little pumpkins. Yeah. But they were there. I can't say the word ornament. ornament. Oh, yeah. Ornamental. Ornamental. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. And they didn't get any bigger. So every oh. week we were going down to the allotment, <laughs> checking out these pumpkins. And my, my daughter Olive was like, when are they going to get bigger? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, don't, don't worry. <laughs> Anytime soon. Patience. Yeah, patience. Yeah, you just wait. You wait. Get to October and they've not changed size. Yeah. Uh, had an absolute mare with it. So, yeah, I mean, I learned to label stuff up is the biggest thing. Yeah. Absolutely not. God knows what happened to the actual pumpkin seeds <laughs> that I was, was growing. It obviously didn't come up, did they? But, yeah, so labelling stuff up is so, so important. Yeah, definitely. And have you had any strange gardening injuries? We've had various ones mentioned on the podcast. Looking, um, Yeah, so they are fabulous. Um, so moving on to our next question, I know Blake has yeah. pre-warned you. We then like to hear about some yeah. of the things that haven't gone quite so well. And I should imagine gardening with big groups of children 
you probably have a few amusing ones of those, I would think. Oh, yeah, we've definitely got a few of those. So, I mean, last year was incredibly, yes, what's the word that I can use, challenging as it were, because <laughs> going from doing it at home to then having like all of these eager eyes looking at you, thinking that you know everything and yeah. not realising that. So when we plant seeds at school, we have, we've got this thing now where we have these backups because we don't know how they will turn out and the children expect to see them growing. I mean, last year we did, so obviously you're all excited. We've got these seeds because we've done level one RHS award mm-hmm. and level two. So we'd received these seeds from the school garden, the school gardening team there. And so we started, we thought, all right, let's just sow the seeds. So January it was, and we sowed these seeds, and schools obviously have the heating on all the time. So we didn't think um, about having to extra water them or the possibility of leaving them on the radiator and going back the next day and they're totally dried out and nothing's happening. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that was was, um, definitely uh, a funny moment. Or going over half-term and forgetting to go and water them because you're so consumed with like your own kids that you forget about these plants and then you go back and it looks like wild dried grass and you're like oh my gosh what is what have we done so yeah definitely from that perspective I would say to you if I'm doing if you're doing school gardening don't be eager with the seeds just wait because it'll be better to wait and then the children won't be disappointed um we did uh we also have done like um, broad beans to get into. We'll call, yes. we'll call that magazine research. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So obviously we've chatted a bit around successes, which leads us into the next thing that we like to cover <laughs> off: those things that haven't gone quite so well on the plot. Do you have any stories to tell us about those? Do you know what? I've got a really good one for you. Okay. <laughs> this is really bad. <laughs> and no one knows this yet either. <gasps> so this is like a proper <laughs> scoop <laughs> for you. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's, it's so bad. <laughs> okay. So at the beginning of the year, I did a YouTube video about how to propagate sweet potatoes in water. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really popular. And it's really taken off. It's going to be like the year of the sweet potato. I've accidentally started something here. <laughs> Every day I get like um, lots of people putting stories up and tagging me on Instagram, showing me the progress of the sweet potatoes. And it's been amazing, like the uptake uh, yeah. of this and how enthusiastic everyone's been. And yeah, there's literally, there's going to be sweet potatoes on every plot. So I've got <laughs> always in my stories, all these pictures of other people's potatoes. <clears throat> Problem is <laughs> my sweet potatoes got red spider mite last week and I had to get rid of them all before it spread so um after starting this huge craze for propagating sweet potatoes I don't have any and everyone's going to be looking to you for advice and stuff I know so so yeah I'm going to have to fess up on on Instagram I think like next week or so and go do you know what guys you've all been doing really really great (laughs) someone sent me some slips (laughs) I I now don't have any (laughs) well that's good that um other people are doing it as well it's the fact that you can change something um so quickly um well we then like to move you on to perhaps the the less popular set of stories. Can you tell us about any 
garden fails that you've had over the years or any funny things that have happened and haven't quite gone to plan? Oh, it's quite a tricky one. I think my probably in my early days, like when I first started out gardening, I used to do garden maintenance, so cutting hedges and lawns and basics like that. And I remember helping a gardener um, and there was the like three beautiful, well, I say beautiful actually, they looked like they needed some TLC, um, euphorbia. They would have been beautiful if I'd left them alone, um, but they were. They, <laughs> they had some scraggly stems and I just wasn't sure what they were. It was, I'd only been doing it maybe a year and I didn't do much on the plant side. I just did hedges and lawns and things, but she'd said, if you could help me tidy up this border and cut back this border. Anyway, I just, I, I just annihilated them. I just cut the oh, whole no. things back thinking it'll be fine they'll come back just like herbaceous plants do and lo and behold they didn't and I killed all three of them and I bet when they were they'd have been in full growth they'd have been like you know a, a meter tall by a meter wide like big majestic things but I just locked the whole things down thinking that they'd come back and they didn't oh no <laughs> I know. but I never did it again yeah uh, yeah she's like oh no those ones actually you just need to remove the stems that look scraggly and leave the rest and I was like <laughs> Okay, <laughs> next time I wish not to do that. It often takes those things, doesn't it? It takes those things to then be able to... So, Blake, there were some epic things. <laughs> okay. 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 So, Blake, what was your favourite fail? I liked some of the mixed ones, like Hugh's point about the two going hand in hand. So successes alongside the failures. And I think that's good. I think that sums up the ethos of the first series of The Dirt quite well, because um, all about like learning from those mistakes. So I liked that. But there were so you many good so ones. Right. My, my main thought coming out of that was, wow, we had a lot of good people on the first season. That is so true. I think as well, um, Katie Rushworth's fail highlighted the the point that Hugh made as well, that some of these mistakes, once you make them once, you're not then going to make them again. Exactly. And I think that probably brings us on to the fact that, obviously, these were all brilliant gardeners, and it wasn't all mistakes and mishaps. There were plenty of brilliant, innovative and handy shortcuts and nuggets of advice along the way too. We like to ease everybody in gently because we're very kind like that. So um, first of all, can we just ask what your biggest gardening successes have been personally? Well, it, uh, overall, it, 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 it's no dig. And, and this way of, this much easier way of, of managing soil, which I've been doing actually for 38 years now. And I'm still learning more about it myself. And... I'm very happy to share that knowledge and pass it on and I'm delighted with the feedback I'm receiving from people that's so encouraging and they're they're loving it too and it's saving everyone a lot of time and effort. You know, it's kind of some people call it the lazy way, but actually sometimes it's really good to be lazy. You know, as long as it's constructively lazy. And and working with nature basically, which means you you're not fighting nature so much as just treating soil in the way that nature does, feeding it on the surface. So for the listener at home who might I'm excellent, thank you. Happy New Year to you too. So now that we're in 2020, do you have any sort of resolutions in the garden this year or anything like that? 
Well, I saw, you know, my, I always think my main issue with it really, and I think this is for a lot of people, really, is time, isn't it? I think you need to make sure you've got time. I enjoy, especially the allotment, I enjoy being down there so much. And uh, I think that you need to kind of budget for it a little bit in terms of your time. So um, I'm, my yeah. New Year's resolution is to, uh, is to spend, more, spend as much as I, time as I can down there, really, as much as it allows anyway. Yeah, that sounds like a good resolution to me. It's not a pretty sight, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you mentioned looking at the positives there, which leads us very nicely into our, our first question for you, which is, can you tell us about any of your real gardening successes since you started out and anything that really stands out to you? Um, I think the real garden successes for me are when I feel that my customers um, are empowered enough to do things off on their own back. So when I go back to see clients and they say, you know, that thing that you mentioned, well, I've kind of taken that bit of knowledge and I did this, what do you think? And it worked and it's amazing and they've kind of had that confidence to do it. I think that for me is definitely where I get my kicks from my job when I feel like I've passed on some knowledge and given someone the confidence to just have a go at something themselves and they've done it and it works and that's just brilliant. Yeah, that's really great. I think sort of empowering people and giving them those tools is is a big part of it because I think sometimes the fear around knowing what you're doing can be what stops people from getting out there and giving it a go can't it absolutely yeah absolutely and gardening is not you know it's not a hobby for everyone lots of people see it as a chore and something that they have to do so then if they go out and do that chore and it doesn't work or the plant doesn't grow then it just be kind of comes becomes this even you know this worst task that people have got to get around to doing so i think the more little bits of knowledge you can give people that make that chore, you know, a little bit more enjoyable, then maybe it might become a hobby um, because they kind of had a little bit of success. Um, So I think that's really the, you know, the thing that you have to get through to people is just a little bit of information and a little bit of kind of holding someone's hand um, will help them kind of stop seeing as this thing that they have to do and some hopefully something that they can enjoy. And I guess at some point, as you say, it then gets to that point where it's like, okay, and using them as ground cover and stuff. Yes. Um, for any listeners who, and I'm sure there will be lots of them, thinking that that sounds amazing and they'd like to give it a try, um, how would you sort of recommend that people get started with that if they might have had quite a sort of traditional plot to start with? I think probably the best way of starting is to use um, get used to the idea of having ground cover. So say, for example, if I have a bed, you know, you've got, a say, a, a raised bed, and there's, you know, there's there's different crops in there. There's tomatoes, um, there's brassica, there's peas. Um, I would use, you know, to actually fill in the gaps, I would use lettuce mm-hmm. or salad leaves because it's really low, um, sort of, it doesn't drain much from the soil. So having the, so that's probably a good way to start because it gives you an idea of using ground cover because what that does is it protects the ground from, you know, if you, it's actually really nice now thinking about summer. Yeah. Let's think about summer. During <laughs> the summertime, yes, it's please. really warm and not freezing cold and wet. Um, so that actually protects the soil from drying out. And then during the winter, which is when weeds really come into play, um, particularly if you just leave things like some grass growing, 
a few dandelions, they're not going to obviously flower, just or leaving your crops, letting your crops actually just basically die down into the ground, anything that's remaining, then you're protecting the soil. Because if you leave the soil bare um, and if you dig it over, it's the worst thing you can do because it leaves it open to um, nutrient leach away from lots of rain yeah. over winter. So with weeds, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of people have this idea of this picture perfect veg patch and what it should look like. Mm-hmm. And that that's weed free, isn't it? Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, um, you know, sort of historically with peasant gardens, if you kind of go back to sort of pre-Victorian garden aesthetic, um, weeds were actually used as fillers. Oh, they really? Pollinate. Yeah, they did. I mean, there's a place um, in Cardiff called St. Faggins and they've got an old peasant garden there. And it's a revelation because they use things like um, fat hen which used it's edible, it's yeah. not as nice as brassica leaves, um, which, which sort of historically replaced it. But they used to let things like that grow in between crops because it was really useful. So I suppose I'm a bit of a peasant gardener as well. <laughs> Badly behaved peasant gardener. <laughs> I love that. Um, now we'd like to move you on to sort of the other side of Well in the garden, but before that... We'll ease you in gently. Can you tell us about any of your biggest gardening successes? Uh, I don't have loads of success. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a keen, keen amateur. I only really got into gardening in the last few years a bit, and I just grew some potatoes. And they've, they're probably my biggest success because I've grown quite a lot of them. On my, on my YouTube channel, I, I gave a, had a potato giveaway where I gave away <laughs> potatoes yeah. to anyone who wrote in. I ended up spending about £70 a potato postage because <laughs> if the potatoes are over a certain size they don't fit through the little slot at the post office oh, and it costs no. about £2.95 to send one potato <laughs> or if, it's small, if it's a small like a sort of new potato type thing did everyone get just like get one each 60. yeah I just sent everyone one potato each cool. with a like certificate of authenticity <laughs> uh, and, and some people sent um the best some people sent what they'd done with them some people kept them but some people sort of made it into like a really small mash with like a cocktail sausage and <laughs> stuff like that sent them in so it was yeah yeah it was, it was good fun so um uh, yeah potatoes are probably my my greatest success because they're quite easy aren't they you just put them in the ground and they go yeah yeah and you can't have enough either i don't think yeah i don't think it's possible to have too many potatoes really i was surprised because because with all of this sort of stuff like i knew so little about gardening and still still do like a lot of things I didn't know where they came from. Like I knew potatoes were in the ground, but things like broccoli. If you told me there was a broccoli tree or the broccoli <laughs> on the ground, I'd yeah. completely believe you. Um, uh, but with potatoes, I was surprised by how many potatoes you get per potato you put in. Yeah, it's not like, like I grew onions the other year, and you put in one tiny onion, and you and I got back like one big onion. Yeah. It was like a one for one exchange. It didn't seem it didn't seem worth it. I don't understand. Yeah. I don't understand what's going on. Uh, so I wasn't as impressed with onions, but potatoes, you get a lot of potatoes per potato you put in. Yeah. We will say we often seem to end up having the discussion about how we don't trust people that don't like potatoes. Because there's so yeah. many ways you can eat them. Yeah, I think that's that's fair enough. Um, my my, I've got a two-year-old son, and I've tried feeding him sweet potato mash now. And every time, now because he didn't like it, he's, he's now going... Is it proper potatoes? Is it yellow potatoes? <laughs> I have to clarify that. But yeah, I, th- I think there's a, they're very versatile, aren't they? Yeah. What What is the best way, do you think? Are you a, a mash or a roasty? Or... I d- I'm very good at roast potatoes. I'm very good at mash. Uh, someone someone told me the best for good mashed potato. A chef told me, he said, you just you need to put in so much more butter yeah. than you think you do. So you want to put in about a third 
of the amount of potato in butter if you know yeah. what i mean so if, so that's something so so yeah i think i think a very buttery mash is is excellent but then a roast potato is good as well yeah i don't know those two boiled <laughs> potatoes I um, so mm. you say you quite recently You know, and you've got time to be constructive and be, enjoy it more. What's the kind of main thing that you come up against, the main barrier for other people? Because I know growing up and gardening with my grandparents, they were very much, you know, we must dig over the plot yeah. every single winter, that type of yeah. old school thinking. So is that kind of the main obstacle that people face? Yes, you've answered it, exactly. Uh, I mean, it's a very good question and you've provided the answer, which is traditional thinking, if you like, which, you know, I'm not against tradition by any means, but we, I think all of us in all our lives... We, we'll get better results if we question things more. Mm -hmm. And a lot of tradition is rooted in in its time. You know, and time moves on. The, the, the reasons change for doing things and, and knowledge moves on. So now, and you know, climate change is another one, carbon. And yeah. no dig, no till keeps carbon in the soil. So, so it, it wins on that score as well. But... Did That's you, interesting. Did you plant yours on the 5th of November? Actually, yes. Oh, well done. Top <laughs> And marks. also, when you've got your plants at the full height, because he's an organic gardener, don't spray if you see black fly. Yeah. But before you see black fly, intermingle in amongst your plants marigolds. Yeah. A few marigolds. And they'll keep the black fly off. Oh, that's because I grew uh, broad beans for the first time last year and I had an unmitigated disaster and they all died. So this year, marigolds. So I need to do that, do I? Just hop on the marigold train. Do you do you use the autumn? Do you plant in autumn or do you no, plant? No, I did it in spring. In spring. So do you recommend, so planting them on the 5th of November, get your strong plants going and then I won't have this issue. Well, yeah, they they actually the the autumn planted ones um, are hardier, and I think because they've got through winter. Because you'll find if you plant them now, they they you'll see them within a few weeks. But the, these little plants won't die; they can even be snowed on, and they get through. Yeah. And I think that makes them more hardy. They don't get um, so much black fly as the spring planted ones do. Oh, right. That's my take home tip. That's my Henry tip of the day. That Thanks very much. Companion planting. Yeah, companion planting. Getting my marigolds. Have you got any like new things that you're going to try with the new year coming or any kind of new varieties that you want to try next year? Um, you know, I actually think that I'm having a bit of a return to my favourite varieties because I think actually sometimes in especially following so many different gardening accounts and social media, you can get quite kind of excited about all these amazing different varieties, which yeah. is amazing because it inspires you to grow things that you perhaps wouldn't have grown. But also I think sometimes you you sort of forget that you're growing because you enjoy eating the produce. So yeah. a few years ago, I grew um, I think a double red sweet corn and it was beautiful and so like a lovely deep red colour. Um, everyone on, on Instagram was like, oh, I'm going to grow this. And then I was like 80 and I was like, it's just not as good as just normal, regular yellow sweet corn. Mm. Um, and so I've just kind of actually gone back to some of the basics that I started growing in the beginning that I just really enjoyed eating. Um, things like salad as well. Like I, we eat so much salad in the summer. So I'm just like, right, let's have a really big area of the plot where we're growing loads of salad that's going to last us all yeah. through the summer. Mm. Um, because I think sometimes you can sort of lose 
focus on actually the, the main purpose is because we want to eat what we grow and not have to buy yeah. you know, fruit and vegetables so a little bit of a return to just looking at actually what do we spend our money on and what can we therefore grow and and what are we going to eat as a family it's um it's funny that you mentioned the red sweet corn actually because um experience yeah definitely um can you tell us a little bit about how how the school garden started yes so I basically started two years ago in my north london bedroom um on the top floor in the flat um with my two children so it obviously you can't grow in your bedroom (laughs) what made you do what made you start that up um well my son had said to me mummy where did where does tomatoes come from and I'd explained it to them and they're like but mummy we see them in the supermarket they're not in soil on a bush or on a vine um and it really disturbed me that that was their interpretation of food Mm. so we literally went out and got some compost, a few seeds, and it started off with a few tomatoes, um, indoor herbs that you could grow, so like your basil, etc. And then they kind of got really excited. So mm. it ended up that I had strawberry plants. Then we went to raspberry canes <laughs> and blackberry canes, and it was just kind of like a bit overwhelming. Yeah. So I approached Islington Council because I was lucky enough to have within where I live a small green uh, derelict space. And I asked them if it would be okay for us as a community, because it was really important for me as well to include the older generation within the block, because it's something that they can kind of get involved in as well if they don't go out. And they can just get in the lift and go downstairs and um, muddle along with us. So we kind of started it up over the summer and it was really successful beyond my wildest imagination. So we had cucumbers, peppers, chilies, herbs. These canes were growing. We had strawberries. And it was just really amazing that my son, my eldest son, Reese, who's now 11, said to me, Mommy, why don't we think about going and doing it at school? Mm-hmm. Oh. So he wrote, like a little businessman, he went to school with his <laughs> uh, portfolio that he had got, bless him, uh-huh. and he took in some chilies that he thought it'd be really funny to see his headmaster um, <laughs> try these chilies and see if he could handle the heat. So he took them into school and he had his meeting and they approached me and said, would it be something that I would consider doing at school? So obviously I jumped at the chance because for me it was more greenery. Mm. and more space where I could grow and yeah and and kind of encourage because you don't realize how um how enclosed the children are in London it, I mean mm-hmm. you can you can be enclosed even if you're in the countryside in the respect of that you don't have your own growing space yeah, yeah. but it was more so because we're all, there's lots of tower blocks necessarily see recommended in books but that really works for you um you know probably just 
I tend to be slightly lazy sometimes in the sense that if I've if I've grown a number of plants and I plant them out I will always keep the sort of you know they will say I'll get rid of your weak plants don't there's no point I'll always put them on I have like this little secret stash of the weak plants and then what happens is normally my first lot will get eaten by something and (laughs) it'll be then time to roll out the weedy weak plants and I'll be like yes this is your time to shine guys (laughs) um so yeah so and they always say you know don't over sow or but I always tend to keep stuff um and just see what happens and it tends to sometimes really be beneficial for me and I've got those backup plants yeah so that's the sort of time when you're like I knew I knew I was doing this how it actually helps you as a person so yeah that's been really good and obviously at the start of the show I mentioned that off the back of doing all of this you've um, been crowned like the RHS school gardening champion of last year so how was that oh well well to be quite honest like I said I've I've been doing this for like this is my my second year Uh so doing when I got told by Anna again it was Anna and Eleanor and um, Lucy who was a deputy head they decided that I really needed to be given this accolade and I when they first told me I won't lie to you I was kind of shocked and taken aback and I was thinking why me what of what is it that I've done that could really reward me in such a such a prestigious award um for me to get that yeah and yeah I could to be honest with you I was I'm still quite overwhelmed now um quite like being told like you saying that to me I get kind of goose pimply and shy and go pink <laughs> because I can't believe I can't believe that I'm actually the, the RHS champion. It's such an amazing achievement. To be honest with you, I mean, it's the best thing that's ever happened, to be honest. Yeah, wow. From something that was just a passion, a kind of an enjoyment I was doing with my, like I said to you, my children, to then reaching out to families at school and to then knowing that I'm kind of helping other parents and other schools, not just locally, but on a wider scale to see actually, do you know what? You don't have to be rich and mm. you don't have to have all of the knowledge, mm-hmm. but you can just go out and do something and, and and help others. And if you join your little community, it's fantastic. And the RHS community are, are literally amazing. I mean, it wasn't just the award that we won. Last year, we also went to Hampton Court Palace and we done It's a Wild World and the children had built this bug hotel, um, cool that they called Ashmount Astoria, which that was fantastic. It's the things that the RHS school gardening team kind of instill in you as, as, as volunteers. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not just you're re they're reaching a wider, a wider market, a wide, a wider clientele. uh, And people, you kind of can't help yourself, but fall in love with it. I mean, it's everywhere I go. I mean, I'm literally, RHS schools, if you want to do anything, yeah, RHS schools. If you want to know about gardening, it's literally RHS schools because, <laughs> and they're so lovely. The people there are amazing. Whistly Gardens, I mean, that when I went there, I was, my eyes nearly popped out of my head. I yeah. just could have stayed there for about a week looking and continuously looking. Um, yeah, so they are fabulous. Um, so moving on to our next question, I have the stuff easily to hand there is one other thing that uh, gardeners can do and that's called growing cover crops or green manures 
Yeah. And uh, any, I've hardly got a square meter of unplanted ground at the moment because anything that's not planted with Brussels sprouts or sprouting broccoli, things like that, um, is covered in either oats or in Italian ryegrass. And on a on this um, in in these southern areas, that will grow all winter yeah. and make a huge difference to the amount of organic matter in the soil. Um, and the seeds are not that expensive, and uh, it's um, it's something certainly worth experimenting with. And when's the best time to get that in then? When should you be planting? Well, the best time. That's an excellent point you've made there, Blake. Because the best time is the second week in August. But of course, most of us are still harvesting lots of nice things the yeah. second week of August. In fact, <laughs> we're harvesting nice things for the second week in October. And yes. yeah. um, so, all too often, you can't get the cover crop in until October, or even in November. And that's where the ryegrass comes in. The seed is ever so cheap if you buy ten kilo ten kilograms um, and spread it with a, a, a generous hand, and it comes up quite quickly. And it's uh, highly nutritious because you can see on my garden, the deer come along and they um, very much like to graze the ryegrass. Now, the ryegrass has been bred to feed cows and sheep, and so yeah. it's full of sugar and protein. The deer know this, so they graze my um, my ryegrass. I don't mind that as long as they don't start grazing my raspberries. <laughs> exactly. We leave lots of droppings behind. couple of funny stories i mean the first one i would say to is like uh, i'll god so i'll start lightly is i obviously my i'm a big lover of pak choy i lived out in the, in the you know in, Ch- in japan for years and i love pak choy and uh but i quickly discovered so the pigeons actually they're immensely <laughs> friendly oh, no. yeah my, my biggest nemesis on my allotment so i would grow these things and they would just get just right and I'm, i am in front of me like with a bit of butter sauteed pak choy fresh out the ground is incredible and it just get to the stage where i go i'm oh, gonna really and they they would just devastate them and it got so bad that i actually started using them as a as a companion plant and just so to keep them off my cabbages and my oh, really? pigeons are so keen on them yeah, <laughs> I mean, I could, I, yeah it's quite a rather expensive way to be honest with you and slow way of, of, of deflecting pigeon damage but that was certainly i think the other thing you've got to watch as well i mean i do you know i've got radio fiber stuff quite a bit the question i always get asked all my containers full of plants so yeah no it's wow that sounds idyllic yeah um so have you found what are the biggest sort of challenges of growing on a narrow boat i suppose yeah it's been just moving from i suppose from an allotment and a garden to suddenly having to go to well for my personal going suddenly having to go to containers has been just a challenge in itself because you're suddenly so you're limited to a degree I always push the boundaries in terms of what what you can and can't grow in a container anyway I always have done Mm -hmm. but yeah you suddenly you just have to rein it all in a little bit or try things differently or just reduce how much of everything you grow um but yeah no it's have you enjoyed that then because I think like in some ways as much as it can feel restrictive you are at least you know there's only a certain there's a limit to what you can do whereas when you've got as much space as you could ever ask for it's it's limitless yeah yeah and that can be overwhelming yeah exactly I think once you know you've got a smaller space although I keep expanding it which I probably shouldn't do (laughs) as I keep expanding it I think I focus on what I know not always I always try new things anyway but I focus on what I know I really want to grow whereas Mm. I think before when I had with the allotment I I knew I had loads of space because it was full size so I thought well I can grow loads and loads of potatoes and I can like you grow runner beans and I can grow sweet corn and I can grow all these things that take up a lot of space and I used to grow like giant pumpkins and try and um, 
like see if I could beat Matthew Oliver and his record <laughs> so I could do so I could do stuff like that so which was fantastic but I think now it has enabled me to focus on what I really one like to eat so I then focus on what I really enjoy growing as well so I get a you get a lot more out of it that way because you end up using all your produce instead of growing too much and then not knowing what to do with it and did you ever get anywhere near massive pumpkin size and better crops as a result of it what stuff are you planning on growing this year obviously right on the it's soon going to be time to start getting stuff in so i'm a big fan of homegrown sweet corn so i'm always got a, mm. a packet of uh, um the, li- the little dwarf super sweet like swift um, yeah it's a, i'm a big fan of of that one it grows really well here in uh, in our soil as long as we have a long enough summer, it's really sensitive to uh, the amount of time um, that it gets in the sun. So last year was a washout, but the year mm-hmm. before that we had some cracking uh, sweet corn. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm going to do a few of the usuals, like some uh, some runner beans, and uh, the wife's very keen on onions and garlic because we uh, we go through a lot of that in the kitchen. And um, does your little one have any favourite vegetables to eat? She's a big fan of um, of broccoli, funnily enough, um, which I, I understand is unusual in small children. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm quite pleased about this. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I might see if I can uh, get some of that, some, some calories or something going. Oh, that's lovely. I think it's probably something to do with the fact that she's seeing it growing as well, isn't it? That sort of removing the element of separation yes yes it could i mean we've been taking her down there since uh, she was she was born really and um she spent last summer um plotting raids on other allotment holders raspberry patches <laughs> so, <laughs> oh. i love that <laughs> yeah Oh, not the best way to make allotment friends, I suppose. <laughs> yes, go go over and pinch their raspberries when they're, when they're, when they're there. Yes, I feel like she could probably get away with it better than what you could, though. So, well, she does have the edge in the cuteness stakes. So. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, apart from set, not setting your greenhouse on fire again, what would be yours? I think that's why it was a bad year last year, but this year. It's been fantastic. Um, I do grow a lot of potatoes because, as Laura will tell you, I give away quite a lot of stuff. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, sell you it. definitely do. <laughs> oh, so who do you give your stuff away to? Oh, Laura's putting her hands up. <laughs> you, she gets don't a have, lot of your potatoes, does yeah. she? <laughs> don't have space for potatoes in my garden. <laughs> Friends and neighbours as well. Yeah. No, I, I have quite a, a lot of, of ground, so I grow a lot of potatoes. But, but main crop this year have been. This, particularly good i grow mainly i only grow go back and all of the slugs have eaten it there's holes everywhere so yeah that's definitely a tip don't grow next to the composting speaking of um tips do you have any tips personally that you've come across in the time that you've been growing that maybe aren't things that you'd read about in the textbooks but things that you've found have really worked for you and the school garden yeah, so we do, we, the main thing that I like to emphasise is you don't need to go out and buy loads of plastic things from the garden centre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the best tip that I can offer anybody is to get your kids as eco-warriors um, friendly as possible. So going and raiding their mum's kitchen, 
for like the milk bottles mm. and you can cut them up or you know like the plastic it's not good to have plastic but unfortunately in the life that we live there's plastic everywhere but if you can reuse it that is the be- the, the best thing possible so like yeah. your egg the egg containers be it plastic or be it cardboard you can grow you can grow and start your seedlings out in in that that's really great um other tips um definitely when you start the seeds especially within schools again like i said to you because it is quite warm definitely propagate them um i like we don't have we've not bought any propagating equipment but mm-hmm. if you get the top of bottles and poke little holes so if you cut the top of your two liter bottle of say water or some people it's not deny it have fizzy drink mm-hmm. you cut the top off of that you know, and leave the leave the lid on, but poke holes in it around the outside. That would give you that kind of dome effect, and that helps to keep your seedlings fresh, covered, but also warm, so they grow nicely. That that's definitely some of the tips that we've had. And school dinners, kids don't eat all of their school dinner, so there's always going to be rubbish that's left over. So get your school, which I found really great. Get your school to separate your kind of non-compostable stuff mm-hmm. into separate buckets and get the kids to collect that and then go and put it in your compost bin because then within a year's time you'll have compost and you can use that back again in the garden and it saves you money. Yeah, that's a great tip. I think what sounds really, really good about this is... Um... <laughs> So as well as the, obviously, the really exciting new projects you're working on, would you say there have been any real successes that stand out to you in your career in horticulture so far? Well, I think um, like a big moment for me was um, completely redoing my garden to be a fully edible garden. Mm-hmm. That was kind of at the end of 2019. And I literally ripped everything out of the garden. Mm-hmm. If it was ornamental, it went. Mm-hmm. And um, everything in the borders and everything was replaced by edible plants. Now that's not to say it just became one big veg patch. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have edi- like ornamental borders. Mm-hmm. It's still um, a garden. If you walk around it, it would look like any other garden. Got the borders are full of flowers mm-hmm. and, and everything. But every single thing in there provides a crop of some description. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just great to see it kind of come back to life at the beginning of last year and uh, you know because I did it when everything was dormant and you do it when you, you can't see any of the plants you're just all in your head yeah. and like mm. sure this is gonna work but we'll see and <laughs> and then it came it came all came back and and it, it was really it really worked and it, it works as a as a as a garden as mm. just a place to spend time and, and enjoy you know time outside mm. and, and a beautiful place to be and you can eat part of all of it and um, and I think if you've got limited space and you 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 don't want to compromise mm. on on beauty and food and mm-hmm. you want the best of both worlds, you can have that. So I think that was a that was a kind of a, an important moment for me, just proving that kind of to myself almost that yeah, you didn't have to compromise. There's not a mm. choice to be made. You can you can have the best of both worlds. And are there any crops or plants in particular that you think work really well for that as kind of like doubling up as? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, my favorite is uh, Zingiba Mayoga, which is the Japanese hardy ginger. Now it's like, I I don't understand why it's not in every garden because it's amazing. (laughs) Um, It's, 
it's it is a ginger rel- relative, but you don't eat the roots like you would on a on a normal ginger. And obviously, ginger is a tropical plant, the ginger that we're all familiar with with mm. cooking with, mm. um, which you can grow, but then it will die back in um, in winter, and it's very frost tender. Um, but this is a hardy plant, and it grows really really well in borders here, and it looks beautiful. It's like a beautiful foliage plant, similar kind of leaves to uh, your classic ginger plant. Um, But it gives you two different crops. So in spring, you can eat the new shoots a bit like you would harvest asparagus. So you can take a portion of the new shoots and they're like a, you have them like a stir fried greens, Mm. uh, kind of tightly where they're still all tightly wound together Mm. in a shoot um but with a kind of gingery tang it's really lovely Lovely. and then at the end of summer and into autumn it puts up flowers but they kind of they come out of the soil up to a foot away from the plant so they kind of come off runners um and they are a massive delicacy in japan and the flowers that you get them as the flower bud it's still really tight Mm. and it's just this really crisp burst of gingery flavor it's like nothing i've ever had before yeah yeah you You should you should it's brilliant how's um having this entirely edible garden infested and it was not it wasn't pretty (laughs) so with growing inside do you have um have you come across any really good shortcuts or solutions to things to overcome any problems from you know growing in a limited space because it can be a challenge. I grow, I just have a small courtyard, so I do have to, it restricts on what it you does. can do a lot of the I time. Did. I, th- I think if you've got a small space, the best thing you can do is go vertical in whatever mm-hmm. way that is. Yeah. So I'm doing a lot of work looking at kind of vertical veg gardens and wall gardens and things in windows. And I use like microgreens, things that stick on the windows and utilizing that window space that you've got. Because really, if you're going to grow inside, it's all about light. And, mm-hmm. and if you haven't got a lot of grow lights and I would say that if you are going to seriously grow inside you should invest in some level of grow lights because Mm. you just are not realistically going to succeed otherwise Mm. but your main source of light is from your windows so you have to focus all your growing around that really Um, and if you're just using the window ledge you're really limited on on the space that you've got whereas there are solutions that I've kind of put on Instagram and stuff where you can it allows you to maximize more of that window space Mm -hmm. so like hanging Overdoor storage racks up in the window or over mm. a glass door. You suddenly you can use all of that space yeah. uh, to put little plant pots in and stuff. So Ooh. there are solutions. I think you've just got to kind of get creative yeah. with the space. You've and except got. that your windows are going to be full of. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, you're not going to see out of them <laughs> yeah. or anything. But who wants to see out of them when they're yeah. green? <laughs> so, um, which crops are you actually growing in? Indoors, indoors this year. Indoors. Well, I'm doing. I'm kind of uh, got quite a lot of focus on. Indoor edible house plants mm. is something I'm quite interested in. So mm. that a lot yeah. of that is spices. So I've got turmeric and ginger on the go, and I'm looking at kind of cardamoms and lemongrasses. That's and handy because like that. then they're right there for when yeah. exactly if when you cook sometimes exactly you know? <laughs> exactly <laughs> they're there. <laughs> and then um, I, I've I kind of work with hydroponic towers and aeroponic towers and things, and that kind of that's a a big focus for me Mm. for the next um year so um I have a a hydroponic tower in my kitchen it's got lettuce it's got tomatoes it's got it's got pepino melons it's got (laughs) got everything (laughs) how have you um found adapting to that new style of growing compared to the sort brings a smile to their face when when I'm not there anymore it's brilliant yeah, and it must be amazing as well, sort of seeing it go from the raw materials that you get at the start to total transformation to the garden that 
they really want. Yeah, I think that's the hook for my job, from, for me anyway, is the transformative part, kind of starting with nothing and creating something like any makers do, and whether you make clothing or whether you make, I don't know, a, a recipe. It's kind of that beginning and end point is the really satisfying part. Mm. Um, and gardens can be transformed quite quickly. You can do a project in a day, like it took us a day to build that pond. Yeah, it was a long day and it was a hard day, but we by the end of the day, we'd like made this amazing new wildlife pond. Mm. So that is really, yeah, a big pull for me still even after all these years of the fact that you can change something um so quickly um well we then like to move you on to perhaps you don't do exactly by the book but things that work really well for you i'm not sure about again um not exactly by the book but one thing that i do try and encourage everyone to do and i do it in my own garden because it just pleases me such a great deal is mulching because I absolutely love when you mulch a board and it looks so tidy. Yeah. It looks so tidy and fresh and like it's one of the easiest jobs. You don't have to be a gardener to do it. You don't have to have green fingers. It's not about knowing what plant goes where. It's just about feeding the soil and putting on that lovely thick mulch of either homemade compost or well-rotted manure or spent mushroom compost and giving it like the nice blanket early, in early spring around things. It just... It just sets all your plants off looking lovely and you know it, you've done a really good job and it's done the soil good and you've suppressed the weeds and it's just such an easy win. Um, so I, I really, I find that really satisfying to do and some, and it's an, yes, yeah, it's, it's really simple. Anyone can do so it if, and get your kids involved in it. If people can't get out to the garden centres at the moment, so would you recommend sort of just using your homemade compost Homemade compost, yeah, absolutely. We should all, if, if you've got anywhere you can be making compost right now, that would just be the best. It's the best thing you can do for your garden. Um, you know, you can't buy better than homemade compost. Mm. So, um, yeah, if you can be getting on with that and we're all kind of in and we're all cooking more, a little bit more from scratch, we're being inventive. So any scraps from the kitchen, uncooked scraps from the kitchen, vegetable peelings, all that kind of thing, clearing out your cupboards, you know, any bits of paper and stuff that can go in. So, yeah, homemade compost right now would just be a brilliant thing to start with. Um, and would you say over the time that you've been gardening? what? When we said this was a mammoth episode, Laura, we meant it, didn't we? Oh, we really meant it. I don't know about quick and dirty. It's more like lengthy and dirty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. You are not wrong. And there's so much great information in there though so many brilliant tips and so much knowledge shared I think that's the great thing and one of the things that I really love about doing the podcast is that there's so much knowledge out there um, especially with a lot of the people that we're talking to them being able to pass on that knowledge it just feels quite excuse the pun organic oh, um, yeah. because you know when you're on your allotment you'd be speaking to people and getting knowledge off people that have been gardening for a longer time than you so it's quite nice having that via this podcast and I think there are some really important points that have been raised like I think it's really really important to think about something that both Rachel and Annabelle flagged grow what you love to eat you don't have to grow an allotment starter pack in your garden if what you really love is cherry tomatoes and basil because that's a classic combo then do that you know you don't <laughs> grow what you love to eat yeah I agree I think you can get caught up in thinking that you need 
be able to grow everything or try growing different things and that's fine if you want to like have an experiment away but also sometimes it can be just as satisfying to have lots of the thing that you really love um yeah especially when if you haven't got an allotment and you have only got a smaller back garden to grow in like you haven't got that much room so make the most of it like keep growing the things that you want to be eating oh absolutely um I know we shouldn't have favorites but I am gonna say this now that hearing Michelle Jones's growing journey again has me all inspired just like it did the first time around and oh, if anybody yeah. hasn't listened to that episode yet go back and listen to yeah. it because 100% give it a listen because you will I mean it was so inspiring um yeah there was lots of useful stuff in there Absolutely. I think the, um, I quite like the decoy plants and like sacrificing stuff. Chris Collins talking about sacrificing pak choy because he found that pigeons would go for that instead of other things was interesting. And, um, and Rachel talking about having like growing extra seedlings so that you can kind of sacrifice some if you need to is quite useful, I think. And also Lucy Start mentioning the best of both worlds crops. And I think that's probably another thing that particularly if you don't have loads of space, get get some plants that do both, you know, look beautiful and are edible. I think all plants look beautiful. This is true. Except maybe brassicas. I think they have their <laughs> own beauty, don't they? <laughs> they do. Um, so we also love sitting around during our podcast episodes with a hot drink, mm. although not a hot drink today because it's too hot. And we like chewing the fat over the biggest horticulture topics of the day and um, the latest news stories. So no topic is off bounds for us, really, is it? So I thought we'd listen to a few of those. That sounds great. Each week, we'll be getting the Grow Your Own team together to chat about some topical news stories. So we will now welcome our editorial assistant, Rose, to the table. So hi, Rose. Hello. To kick off this week, some controversy. (gasps) Um, I read a feature recently in The Guardian from James Wong, where he said that his opinion actually is that heritage isn't always best, that we've been very much sort of programmed to think, oh, a heritage tomato is going to taste vastly superior and it's you know much more worthy to grow than a sort of f1 variety but he actually said it really isn't always the case obviously sometimes it is but he said often these more modern varieties of plants have been bred with characteristics that are the characteristics that you would want in a tomato for example so have you have you guys grown any heritage varieties or I haven't but this is going to be quite divisive right people are going to come out on one side or other of this Mm. argument I think of this debate and I think it will be very dependent on you know what it's like when you grow things you can have a terrible year one year with something and a great year the following year with seemingly no reason between it so if you've had a bad experience with an f1 variety or a particularly good experience is that the rule or is that just that season if it you is sort I mean. of a battle between the old and the new isn't it mm-hmm. or do we hold these heritage old school varieties you know on a pedestal do we always say that they're the best and they nothing else can outshine them or should we be looking at these hybrid varieties and saying actually science does play a big part yeah. and plant breeding does play a big part in the taste and the quality of the fruit and vegetables that we can be growing yeah. absolutely and I think this is one of the really great things about James Wong that He's not afraid to open these conversations up. You know, I think there's so much that people assume you hear, you know, heritage veg and you sort of automatically think, yeah, that's the best thing to be growing. But 
the fact that he's actually you know starting these conversations is a really positive thing i think and it shows it's it's okay to have these different opinions on things like not every single person that's a gardener on the tv is going to think the same way or have the same opinions and that's fine I think I've had some pretty standout moments um, in terms of my career. If you ask me about my career, obviously I I did Blue Peter for nine years, and and that and sort of inspiring kids to garden was was oh. really interesting. Yeah, and I, I, the big part of that was um, was healthy eating and wildlife, which is now a really hot tub subject. So I'm quite yeah. proud that I was in amongst it right at the beginning. I have had some amazing times as well. I worked, I helped renovate the Limbay Botanic Garden in Cameroon, West Africa, for a year. And I was oh, living, wow. with chim- I was living with chimpanzees, and and that was just absolutely mine. I'm doing a lot of rainforest wow. inventory work. So I mean, I've had. I was in Tokyo for five years building container gardens. Container gardens is a big thing of mine. I do that at home here. I'm looking Amazing. at my garden now. Um, so I was kind of the first gardener to get. The three of us went with the first British gardeners to get visas to go and do that. And so it's been really. I'm a Westminster Abbey. I was the head gardener. I mean, I've had an amazing time to be honest with you. I owe horticulture an immense amount. I'm. Um, it's been very, very good to me. I've had an interesting life. It's always about food. Um, do you think, because I saw something this week about kids eating vegetables, and I was wondering, do you think that getting kids out in the garden and getting them gardening from a young age means that they're going to eat their vegetables more? Because I know when I was young, I hated veg. <gasps> you can't say that on here. I know. I, I love it now. But Well, Dan, you've got a little one, haven't you? What do you, what do you think of this? I think it it really does help. I mean, a bit of my growing background, when I was younger, my father used to have an allotment and mm-hmm. he used to regularly take me down there when I was really little, like three, four, getting involved. Some mishaps of falling over and things. That's what happens when you're young. <laughs> um, when you're young. <laughs> but if you understand seed into carrot, carrot picked up, taken home, cut up, cooked, you're more likely to eat it, or at least I was. And that's what I'm trying to do with my daughter. So Mm -hmm. we moved into our current house about three years ago. And like many houses built in the 70s and 80s, tiny, tiny garden. I'd love it to be bigger, but there is space for me to have raised beds. So I'll put raised beds in there specifically. So when my daughter came along, I can get her involved and I have a bed full of fruit. So we have blackberries in there, raspberries, strawberries. She loves going out there and picking the raspberries and the strawberries in the season. Um, I've been growing courgettes there, which she's really interested and excited is. Um, and she used to be a bit of a nightmare when it came to veg. Mm-hmm. Now, broccoli's all she eat. Broccoli, <laughs> cauliflower <laughs> and raspberries. So it's definitely worked. Anyone else out there thinking about it, do it. Yeah, we'd actually, we'd love to hear any listeners, um, your own experience. Maximise your space, uh, depending on what you're fancying growing. (laughs) Um, I found an article on the independent website about crevice gardens. Okay. I know we're probably all familiar with the idea of rock gardens. Yeah. But apparently crevice gardens are the... The new thing. Yeah, the I guess the big brother new of that. New thing for the new decade. Yeah. Um, they are, it says here that they are typically formed um, from slabs of stone set vertically. Okay. So you don't actually need that big of a footprint to grow upwards, if you see what I mean. And then the plants grow in the crevices between the slabs. It's a good use of space. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I think the plants that you can grow in there are not your... Not your average allotment fodder. Are they edibles? Can you grow (laughs) edibles in there? You may. I guess you may be able to grow some of the sort of herbs and stuff in there, maybe. I think you probably can't sort of 
you know, giant tomatoes <laughs> or anything. Stick a <laughs> stick a few Brussels sprouts in there or yeah. anything. But um, yeah, it's um, made a really interesting read, and I think it's always good to find new oh, ways definitely. of growing and utilizing space you've got. Someone um, in my town actually does a similar thing. They have um, stone steps leading up to their house, and they grow daisies and um, flowers in the little sort of crevices oh. in between the oh. stairs, and it's really pretty. So, so I'm not sure if it'll look like it now because um, it's winter and not. I don't know. Probably. I want to know more about this. I'm going to have to look it up. So I actually found a really good story this week about um, Lufa, not the TV show before you both get too excited. But God, you really are punny today. I know. I just can't help myself. Um, but actually about the, the type of sponge that you can grow. So yeah. grow your own sponge, um, oh, wow. which they're trialling at one of the National Trust properties, um, which is Knight's Hayes Estate in Devon. Yeah. And they've decided to grow loaf plants in order to supply the kitchen with zero waste cleaning utensils, Excellent. which I think is really, really cool. I got this from The Telegraph. Yeah. Um, Lufa cylindrica is actually a member of the cucumber family, so right. it grows oh. in a similar way to that. So can you eat them? Um, so you can eat them, but you're meant to pick them young if you're going to eat them because I think oh, they turn okay. quite hard. Like, like so once it's, it's become a sponge, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> once yeah. it's become a sponge, you don't want to eat it. No, it's an eating experience. Yeah. If, you, if you get it early, then you Actually. might be able to. But there, that does come with the caveat that I think the types that are sold for sponges tend yeah. to be slightly more bitter perhaps and not as nice as if you got one yeah. that was meant to be for eating. But you could give it, a, I mean, give it a try. Why not? <laughs> so um, why, yeah. why have they decided to do that this year in particular? So it comes back down to the plastic thing. So they're trying mm -hmm. to stop the use of too much plastic. So they don't want to have loads of throwaway Amazing. plastic foam sponges in their properties. So they're giving this a go in their kitchen garden at Night's Haze and, um, Bev Todd, who's the kitchen garden supervisor, and she also writes for us at Grow Your Own magazine quite a lot. Um, she said that they hope that what they're doing will inspire others to think about creative and simple ways that they can reduce their everyday impact on the environment. So yeah. I think it's a nice idea. Definitely, and yeah. We threw it out on the Grow Your Own Facebook pages to see whether anybody had tried doing this before. Yeah, I've um, heard they're hard to grow. Yeah, and that was kind of the feedback was that a lot of people mm. have given it a go, but on the whole it wasn't. Um, the easiest thing one person said that they're not as easy as like courgettes and that kind so of thing. So do you need a greenhouse? Um, I think you should probably start. And I think it's nearly 14th of Feb. <laughs> well, my story isn't exactly love related, but it is about a love of plants and saving plants okay. and seeds. So Kew Gardens, um, I know that we talked about Kew Gardens briefly in the other podcast, but I do have other stories that are not all about Kew Gardens. <laughs> I have been, I do love it, again, love. But um, so Kew Gardens, as we all know, there's been horrific wildfire um, in Australia and a lot of devastation has occurred. So mm -hmm. Kew Gardens is helping to protect Australia's plants. And what they're doing is they're um, setting up an emergency collection of seeds in areas devastated by these fires and storing them, some of the rarest species in the world's biggest wild seed bank. So I didn't know, I, I didn't know if you'd heard of, of this massive seed bank that was a thing. No, that sounds amazing. Yeah. I know, this sounds pretty so epic. Over hmm. 2.3 billion seeds from 190 countries are stored in airtight glass containers in huge minus 20 degree freezers underground. So it's the idea that we can grow new generation of plants in years to come. I've so, heard about this, so yeah. we don't lose mm, those plants. Yes, it has 41,000 different species. So That's amazing. Yeah, so 
I just kind of wanted to ask you if there was like one plant or one vegetable or something that m- could go under extinct in extinction. Like, what would you want to save? What's your favorite? Oh, oh. I know. I would want to save, and it's a really basic one. And it's this is never going to happen. But my tumbling toms are so important yeah. oh, to me yes. as a small space grower. I get so much off of yeah. them. So yeah, for my desert island. Yeah, it's like your veg. desert island fruit or vegetable. Yeah. Like if you could only have one or you could only save one, what yeah. would it be? There's other veg that I like eating more, but actually just the how productive it is. Yeah. It's so, mm-hmm. so good for the amount of space you need to use. So I love that. Yeah. I think mine would be perhaps strawberries. Maybe? Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, they're quite like a treat. Um, but if I had a vegetable, perhaps potatoes. I love growing potatoes. Yeah. No, it can't beat a potato. There, no. I know we've had this discussion many times in the office, but I don't believe there's a bad format of potato. No. I don't think there is no, either. I was talking to someone who was like, I don't really like potato. And I was reading don't off trust them. And you're like, every... which type of potato exactly. don't you like? Is it mashed? Or... I was like, jacket potato. They were like, not fast. So I was reeling them all off and I was like... <laughs> Jack of potatoes are very close to my heart. And yeah. the, the fact that <laughs> we know, love Rose, we know. <laughs> potatoes was very shocking. But of course, everyone everyone has their own taste, so it's fine. Yeah, definitely. But you can do so many different things with them. I, know. I just oh. and they're really fun to grow. Moving on to something <laughs> less bizarre. Okay. Um, my story is slightly more serious, but not that serious. So I got a press release this week through. Um, and it's a new campaign called the hashtag feed me truth campaign. Right. So it's got a similar message actually to what you were just talking about, Rose, about, um, you know, saving the planet and the environment and that kind of thing. And yeah. specifically about children knowing where their food comes from, which I don't think is a new idea. No. But this campaign is just trying to push it back into the forefront of minds again, which is good. And it's being fronted by Adam Henson, who you might have seen on Country File yeah. um, and other uh, TV and radio stuff. He's a farmer. Um, who's pushing this at the moment and he's fronting that campaign. And he said that the appreciation and understanding of food starts with children simply knowing how and where the ingredients on their plate were produced, Um, but many don't. Uh, Every school dinner has a story to tell. It's a journey and it leaves a footprint. So we need children to be able to explore and be inspired and learn from that. So they're taking this into schools and nurseries Mm. and secondary schools as well and really teaching people young people where their food comes from that sounds great is it the sort of thing that people listening can get involved with or is it yeah so if you go to feedmetruth.co.uk i think they're starting up a petition as well to kind of campaign to teach children you know to get more children involved in it so Mm -hmm. you can probably go and do that but the reason why they're doing this is because recently the british nutrition foundation did a survey with some really shocking results right Researched 27,500 children across the country, across the UK, um, and nearly a third of them, 29% of five to seven year olds thought that cheese came from a plant. A plant? Yeah. Like a cheese plant. A cheese plant. Yeah. Okay, well, there is a plant called a cheese plant. (laughs) (laughs) So that is confusing. It's an easy mistake to make. Yeah. Um, But that's not all. Tomatoes, they thought that tomatoes grow underground. Fish fingers are made of chicken. Um, and according to more than what? one in 10 of eight to 11 year olds, pasta comes from an animal. So <laughs> I think there's some serious education laugh. that does yeah. need to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, definitely quite shocking. Highlights the gap between. Yeah. And I think as well, like school dinners, you go in and you eat and you don't know, you know, you're not sure where that food's coming from. Why is the education not kind of. Mm. Yeah. 
being um, built in. Being built into that, yeah. I don't know whether you were school dinner kind of people or pack lunch. Pack lunch. I said that with the most deadpan face I've ever seen. <laughs> continue the space theme yeah the space episode so i didn't know if you both knew but apparently space food is horrible i, I didn't know that but i i th- guess we might have hazarded a guess hazarded well, a guess a few examples of the food that you can get if you are an astronaut in space is freeze-dried ice cream liquid salt and pepper and dehydrated prawn cocktail i have many <laughs> questions about this how would you what what? Yummer. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how that's supposed to taste, but I can't imagine it tastes very nice. No. Um, but they're trying to improve this situation and their space-grown lettuce is going to give astronauts a more varied diet. So they've carried out a I think trial. they need it as well. Can, by I, the can time I just cut in and say, Rose, let us know more. Oh, oh <laughs> I shout. That was brilliant. <laughs> Why do you want to know more? Just because... <laughs> I might just <laughs> remain at this pace. So apparently really this like lettuce growing yeah. project is about growing vegetables in a hydroponic sort of system so that right. they're not going to have to eat these horrible freeze-dried foods on like long missions. So for example, they want to go to the moon, they want to go somewhere else, <laughs> I'm not sure where they want to go, but they want to go to these really far off places. And the problem of this food is that A, it tastes bad and B, uh, they've got no nutrients in it. So as we can imagine from dehydrated prawn cocktail. Yeah. Which Still is, reeling from that. I needed some dinner inspiration for this. <laughs> well, that, there you go. Um, so there's also the psychological, you know, uh, benefits of growing plants in space. Mm-hmm. Well, not just in space, but anyway. <laughs> um, so lettuce, here we get to the actual point of the story. Um, lettuce was grown in batches on board this um, spaceship between 2014 and 2016. Mm-hmm. The vegetable production system, known as Veggie, was comprised of plant pillows. So these are sealed units containing ceramic soil, LED lighting and a watering system that involved sort of watering it through a tube. Wow, so it's all like self-contained. Yeah, so it's all like something that the astronauts could do themselves in mm. space. Um, so you've got some like soil and bits and bobs there. And I guess it's pretty much like a big greenhouse in space. Um, so the lettuce crops sort of grew on and they actually discovered that they were as probably a bit more or as if the same sort of nutritional content as lettuce that's grown on Earth. So Wow. One thing that Lucy was saying um, earlier on was that... Um, Food in space can taste different because of zero oh, gravity yeah, and yeah. stuff. You? Maybe it tastes even better. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was very similar in composition to lettuce grown in, on Earth. And some plants were even richer in elements such as potassium, sodium, phosphorus, sulfur and zinc. And they did have higher bacteria, but that's just c- probably because of the conditions that were grown in. So basically the moral of the story is that we can grow stuff in space is it just lettuce that's that they're so growing um, no that they're planning on yeah quickly, if we literally because <laughs> obviously they can't cook anything so you're oh, just yeah. eating raw <laughs> raw vegetables which is fine but um so nasa is now expanding the range of produce on board with plans for pak choy dragoon lettuce wasabi mustard and red russian kale nice so they're not just going for the bog standard they're going for the bougie fancy Ooh. stuff so nice. astronauts are in for a treat um they yeah. are planning on tomatoes and peppers but you know dragoon lettuce is the top one <laughs> that's <laughs> amazing yeah it's a really interesting story actually i love i really love hearing about growing in space and stuff because it's just completely different yeah and it shows how much we need to grow stuff it's not just on earth mm. it's 
we need fresh fruit and vegetables in space too. Definitely. Can I just say that this cake is delicious? Oh, good. <laughs> but I keep taking a mouthful just as I go to speak, so sorry about that. Okay. Well, shall I dive in next to give you a little bit of eating time? I have found a story on the Healthline website saying that older adults can reduce brain shrinkage by gardening, dancing and walking. Not all at the same time. I should imagine not, but maybe you get a really youthful brain if you do all three <laughs> at once. Researchers have said that moderate gardening, moderate gardening, moderate exercise such as gardening can help slow brain shrinkage. And the study showed that people who did moderate to high levels of exercise had brains with the equivalent of four fewer years of brain aging. <sighs> so would you say that when you're out in your gardens, you feel like you've done some exercise or? Oh yeah, definitely. I think I do. And the reason why is because the next day I ache when I've been yeah. gardening. So I think anything that may, uses muscles that you wouldn't usually use definitely feels like exercise. Weeding is a definite workout. Yeah. yeah. It's really hard work and it takes ages. So if you're just doing that for an hour, I think actually I looked at how many calories you burn when you garden and it can be as much as the gym workout so it's like you may as well just garden instead of going to the Mm. gym and what I really like about gardening is that it's exercise but it doesn't necessarily feel like exercise whereas when you go to the gym you're it can be really hard to motivate yourself yeah Yeah, because you're just in the same four walls but when you're out in nature and just enjoying yourself and pottering about, you forget that you're actually getting a bit of a workout as well on well, your body and your brain. I think a big part of that as well, than it not feeling like exercise, is you're not specifically doing it for exercise sake, if yeah, you see what I mean. A, you're doing something else and then you go in and you think, byproduct oh, well, I feel like I've done something now. So the moral of this story is keep gardening because keep it young. really is good for you. Anti-aging. It helps get you to 100. <laughs> yeah, I Strong claim, somewhere. Rose. Strong claim. <laughs> it helps. Claim not sponsored by Grow Your Own no, Magazine. No, that's, that's, not, that's just my own. Or somewhere. Um, I'm not sure. Blake, what are these beautiful pictures you have in front of you? Oh, this is so lovely. And I feel like a lot of people... <laughs> Vandalism. Yeah, you didn't it. hear it from us. <laughs> but that actually um, links in really nicely with... Um, the story that I found this week it's actually a piece that was on the Guardian think the world is ending grab a shovel not a shopping trolley obviously we're going through difficult and uncertain times at the moment and the result of that means that a lot of the shelves in shops and things are quite empty but this is actually talking about the therapeutic nature of growing your own food and the fact that removing yourself sort of from the stresses as well so I was just wondering while all of this has been going on have the two of you been making the most of your gardens your outdoor spaces and how have you noticed that's impacted you um I've found that obviously it's a bit early in the year to be producing too much but um I've spent the weekend actually getting a load of seeds in got some seed potatoes that I've started chitting um just because I think knowing that we're going to have a bit more time on our hands more than anything, I want to make sure that I'm making the most of that and actually using that extra time to get out and and practice what we preach. Yeah. 
And and I think anything that comes from it, any extra fruit or veg that I can get from it will just be an added bonus. I'm not expecting to suddenly become self-sufficient from a tiny courtyard. But um, yeah, I just want to make sure that I'm not wasting any time and that I'm getting stuff in as soon as possible. Yeah, I think as well, I actually, I really noticed personally the other day. I think that really proves that we cover off all manner of topics, everything from space to growing in pots in your garden, which brings me on to the fact that listening to this best of makes me realise we should have the dirt bingo. Oh, like those things that we say over and over again? Yes, I think we need that for season two. So we'll get those made up, we'll share them on socials, join in with us. But can I hear crunching, Blake? <laughs> Busted. I was the whole way through that, I was sitting there because I'm sitting outside and I've got my pot of cut and come again lettuce sat next to me. So I was just <laughs> just having a little munch whilst we were listening to those. Just a there. little it's quite midway good. direct from the source. Excellent. Yeah. Exactly. Get me through it. <laughs> that is what we love. <laughs> so I've got some things to go on the dirt bingo then. I think we need to definitely add um, me mentioning my courtyard garden. You don't uh, have a courtyard garden, do you, Blake? I do, actually, Laura. Have I, have I told you about that? <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard you mention it. <laughs> I think if Rose ever mentions potatoes or... Or Kew Gardens. Kew Garden, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For me, it's probably my fig tree. That does come up quite a lot. It's very representative of everyday life. I do talk about it in everyday life all the time. <laughs> so, what have we got next? Well, right at the heart of the dirt is those mishaps and clumsy garden fails. And our guests have certainly had some of those. Oh, yes. We're always looking for those stories. So, any listeners, do get in touch if you have any to rival our season one guests because we'd love to hear them. No, I was going to say a, a failure that's nothing at all to do with big bad growing. Just just a big clumsy old farmer man that, that I am. <laughs> um, I was. Um, we we're allowed twice a year, uh, twice a year, twice a month on on our allotment to burn. You know, to burn waste. Oh yes, that's yeah. a bonfire. That you don't, yeah that you don't put in um, into your compost. And I was cutting down this year at the end of my um, broad bean stuff and I had I had a real lot of broad beans this year. So obviously I had a lot of plant to get rid of at the end and yeah. I was cutting them down when they dried off to have a fire on either the 1st or the 15th of the month, whichever it was. And I was cutting them with a really nice pair of secateurs. Oh, but I can see what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> one of one of the piles of of uh, rub debris that I put down, I put down onto the to the big heap to burn, and I also put down the secateurs. Oh, and, then no. I, and then I spent about two weeks asking anybody if I've left my secateurs anywhere on any of the allotment ground and have you found them. I do, them? I do that all of the time and my partner is constantly at me saying, where are they? You've lost them again. You've lost them again. <laughs> I think they need to have like a beeping device. I need to be able to call my secateurs and find out where they are in the allotment. I have an absolute nightmare with that. So don't worry, you're not on your own. Also, I have to say it's quite unusual for you. 
It really was incredible. I mean, I've had some funny moments. I, I went going right back to when I first started gardening. I, I think one of my favourite stories is I um, I was putting a fence post in, uh, a big for a gate, a big old post, and it was clay soil. Yeah. It was in Horsham in Sussex. And I was digging down with a, a tool called a grafter, which is what they kind of put lampposts in. And I got down quite deep, but I couldn't. it was really raining. I couldn't get the last bit of soil out, so I leant in and then promptly fell in. And, uh, and then, oh, got, no. then, got, yeah, then got wedged in it and uh, it was the second day I was on the firm and it was raining and I was thinking this is going to be a really strange way to drown and, uh, and my for- foreman came back and had to pull me out of the hole which uh, they made a really loud plopping sound as I was released so that's probably that my favourite sitcom my favorite. Favorite. <laughs> yeah it was the it was first proper, impression was, you wanted to probably, make yeah probably um, faulty tower stuff you know what I mean it was yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so the moral of the story is, is don't lean in wrong really great point because then it's sort of Mm. the plant that keeps on giving but to move on from um the things in the garden that you've been very proud of to the sometimes less popular topic of things that haven't gone so well (laughs) so have you had any sort of any gardening failures or funny stories or anything that's gone wrong that you sort of weren't anticipating? Well, I think there's more of these than um, there are the great successes, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> it's often the way. The, the the biggest one is probably the time I set my greenhouse on fire. Oh. Wow. Um, <laughs> How did you manage which, that? Um, well, um, pic- picture the scene. It's the middle of winter and it's frosty. It's quite late at night and maybe a, a Monday night or something. And... Um, I get sent down to the allotment to to pick up a gas bottle that we've been keeping down there. Right. And so I I take the opportunity to go into the greenhouse and light the um, paraffin heater that we've got down there because um, my wife's very keen on growing exotic plants. She mm-hmm. um, imported some um, mangoes and some curry leaves from Thailand. All oh. right. Um, and tried to keep them in the greenhouse. Now, this was an epic disaster because the only one that we have left is the um, the Thai curry leaf plant, which oh, no. now lives at home where it's warmer. <laughs> um, but this was a few years ago now. We, we, we were naive. And <laughs> so I lit the, the paraffin heater that we were using just to keep the frost off and um, walked off with carrying my gas bottle. <laughs> and went to get it um, refilled. So I, I drive I drive all the way into Bath, into to home base or wherever, get the thing refilled and drive back out to the allotment. It's, it's about an hour round trip. Mm. And when I get to the allotment, and I, it's still, it's you know, it's pitch black at this point. The, the stars were amazing overhead. It's funny how you remember things like that. Yeah. Um, uh, I realised, you know, there's there's no... I didn't know that it was a, a fire to begin with, because it had finished. It had burned itself out in the hour that I'd been gone. Oh. Um, and so our greenhouse was lined with uh, bubble wrap. Oh, right, and yeah. And so- somehow, somehow, what had happened, I don't know exactly how, but the bubble wrap had caught light. Oh, I didn't even okay. think that bubble wrap would be flammable, but I guess it <laughs> Well, I think it's a combination of the paraffin heater, that maybe the paraffin heater fumes had coated the bubble wrap with a thin but highly flammable layer of paraffin. Oh, yeah. So, so what did you do next? How, how did you explain this one? Well, I was I was dumbfounded, absolutely dumbfounded. I tried to take um, some pictures of everything, and I was 
thanking just about every god that was passing that I had taken the gas bottle away. Yeah. Wow, because that would have been a different story, time. wouldn't it? It would have been an absolute disaster, yeah. We you know, the fight we would have had the fire brigade and helicopters mm. and who knows what else. Um so I I tried to take some pictures of the scene. Luckily the greenhouse was largely undamaged. It was a bit blackened in places. Mm. But I I think the the fire must have just whipped through the uh the bubble wrap and then you know having nothing else to to feed upon had just burned itself out yeah so that but the the by far the worst bit of it was going home and explaining to the wife that her exotic plants were no more oh no oh yeah because <laughs> every every single one had been had been burned to a crisp has she forgiven you now she has forgiven me now. Because is this a constant thing that crops up? <laughs> it hasn't been mentioned for a few months, actually. <laughs> Let's hope she doesn't listen to this then, otherwise it might rear its head again. Oh, that's a very good point. Um, <laughs> so it then, you know, fell to, to replace the exotic plants. And uh, as, as I said, the, the mangoes were, weren't going to grow in this, in this climate anyway. So um, that's the story, really, of how I burned down my greenhouse and why I now have a Thai curry leaf plant. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say that's our, our first greenhouse fire we've had on the podcast. I think it's our so. first fire, anything, <laughs> yeah. anything related to fire. Yeah. Right, so some people just shouldn't be left alone with flammable liquids and apparently I'm one of them. <laughs> <laughs> At least you know that now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know that now. That's uh, why I buy electrical equipment now. Not so I think the main takeaway here is if you're clumsy, there's probably a gardener out there that is more clumsy. Yeah, don't even worry about it. You know, it's happened to the best of them. And also, you can learn new lessons from it, get a new plant from it, as long as you don't then burn down your greenhouse. <laughs> Do you know what this, <laughs> recording this feels like one of those um, Channel 5 shows that you get where they're like counting down the top 50 programmes of the last decade or something you know and it's presented by a bunch of z-less z-less comedians oh, except we should be we're not comedians, comedians at least Blake <laughs> <laughs> okay sure which probably brings us on nicely to the next category oh yes in our countdown would it be the dirt without some hysteria and some uncontrollable laughter absolutely not so Get ready to laugh all over again with these yeah. silly season one moments. I'm going to say two words to you, Blake, or one word. I don't know if it's two words or one word. <laughs> I think it's hyphenated. <laughs> Trimbot. <laughs> Thank you. And Blake, you're Brilliant, thanks. I have something else to bring to you today, um, and it is Trimbot, the gardening robot. Oh. Yes, so scientists at the University of Edinburgh have developed a self-navigating automated gardening robot called Trimbot, wow. which I'm guessing stands for trim and then bot, because one of its, <laughs> one of its main jobs, yeah. I mean, they didn't say that, but that's just what I'm thinking, or it should be anyway. Yeah. One of its main jobs is to... Trim. Trim bushes. Um, keep on top of it that way. Look out for one another. Definitely. Yeah. Actually, talking of people breaking in, or not so much people, I read this morning in the Metro that 
um, about this bull that broke into somebody's back garden. What? <laughs> so I kid you not, the bull named Arnold after Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> broke in. He headbutted a wheelie bin, left giant hoof marks in the lawn and splattered dung all over the patio. Well, I mean, the dung is useful at least. Well, that's true. So, so my question to you guys is, what would you do if you woke up and found a bull in your back garden? I don't know. Not wear my red jacket. <laughs> I think I'd try to... Is there anyone you can call in that sort of situation? <laughs> what do you do, Max? I don't know what the protocol is for this. No. Yeah, what did they do? But even more stimulating than this caffeine at this time of the day is the story that I found online oh, today. Oh, good. Come on. Kendra from Houston, Texas, who has just grown a 20-pound sweet potato that looks oh like God. a baby. <laughs> what? Can we see that? Will you show me a picture? I do have a picture here, and it is huge. So what has oh. she done? How has she managed? Has she grown it into a mould, or has it just organically babied itself? <laughs> <laughs> I'm now showing everybody oh this humongous sweet potato. My goodness. I'm looking at a picture of a woman cradling a sweet potato <laughs> that does ressemble a fully grown human child. <laughs> yeah, that's terrifying. How Nobody you... thought it was possible. I, I grew uh, pink fur apple potatoes this year. Didn't actually think through what they looked like. My partner went off, dug them all up and he called me over going, oh my God, they've all gone wrong. I'm so sorry. I don't know what I've done because this was his special project. Because when he dug them up, he thought that they looked like little blind bald mice <laughs> because oh, no. they're all really knobbly and they do look a little bit like deformed mice. And are you absolutely certain they weren't mice? They No, because I've, I've eaten them since. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. But yeah, there's a whole thing. Yeah. Here Patricia comes. There you go. Do you want to hear uh, do you want to hear my story that I want to bring go to the on. table? We'd love to. It's the favorite of everything that I've ever seen around Grow Your Own. Alan Titchmarsh is facing up a campaign for Adidas for a dad shoe. Oh, oh. I saw this. So good. I do you know what? I love Alan Titchmarsh. I think if he wants to be a fashion icon, he goes and be yeah. that fashion icon. I mean, I'm going to tell you now that the dad shoe, my dad would love that shoe. Would he? <laughs> he would love it. Dad, if you're listening. Stylish and practical. <laughs> they're coming your way, yeah. What, what was it they called it? Haughty Couture. Oh, yes. wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that, I can't All take credit funds. for that. That was that was someone else's work. It's so good. <laughs> there are straps there. I think there's Velcro. So much that a and dad And Christmas is need. around the corner, so get it on your Christmas exactly. list. Exactly. That's what practical I'm saying. Practical presents. Exactly. And there are also clothing within this line many pockets oh many many my dad is a big fan of pockets as well so it's just handy to have like <laughs> you know if you're in the garden there. you need pockets yeah exactly i will say that he's 100 slug proof that is so <laughs> yeah <true. laughs> if you get slugs in there then i think you're yeah. doing something bad and wrong. <laughs> yeah but um i thought that was quite interesting Something for the future anyway so Laura and Rose have been getting a bit giggly because I came marching in today with two calendars and one of them is slightly risque. Um, oh they're God. both gardening related. Um, and the first, the reason why they're laughing is because the first one is the Naked Gardeners 2020 calendar. So it's got a cover with uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight scantily clad men um, <laughs> who are trimming some hedges uh, in oh, not so very wow, much at all. Wow, nothing like that to cheer the morning up at work. Exactly. Way to start the year. <laughs> um, 
It, it does actually have a serious message because when you open it up, it's um, perennial, which is a gardening charity that focuses on people that work within horticulture and offering them support when they need it. So that's great. It's kind of got a, a good message behind yeah. it too. It's not just all about the naked men, which would um, be great as just as a calendar. But the <laughs> fact that it's got, a, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, or is that you don't need the charity <laughs> angle. No, what I'm saying is that. It's even better that it's for a cause. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Raising money. And the men, it's got like a mixture of people in it and they're kind of like people that are on Instagram or that are well known within the industry or they, you know, manage a garden, that kind of thing. So it's really great that they've all got involved, got their kit off and they're doing yeah. some good for it's charity. It's so body so positive. I it's worth it. checking it out. And um, and yeah, there's lots of, it's a surprise every month. So you turn it over and you don't know what you're going to find. At least January doesn't. They haven't stuck them right in the freezing cold in January. It doesn't look too <laughs> cold, but yeah. And they've got accessories too. Like yeah, they've they fought it through. Yeah, they have. There's um, th- there's a few you know hats and stuff to keep them warm. Um, and the second calendar that because I I don't think you can have too many calendars yeah, um, because it's good to get organised. But the second one is actually from Charles Dowding, and it's slightly less risque. He's wearing clothes. He is wearing clothes. <laughs> yeah, just to be. Um, and the pictures are actually of his garden. Uh, each month and it offers you some tips and some advice on what you can do um, if you're trying to follow his no dig gardening technique that's so handy to sort of walk you through the year And on that note, we shall move on. (laughs) Um, So what was the story that you found this week Blake? So actually it's it's also talking about um, a slightly alternative growing medium and the headline is discarded mattresses could feed millions of refugees. Um, says, and this is from Sheffield University or University of Sheffield Science mm. Department. Right. Um, and they've found that actual literal bed mattresses could be something that you could grow veg from. What? Which As seemed, in without adding anything to them, just. So I think it has to go through some kind of process, like there's some kind of solution that the mattress has to be put in to make yeah. it suitable. You can't um, just dig out your old mattress and then start, start like, put some seeds in it and hope for the best. Like, come on, why are you not growing? Yeah, exactly. I don't think you could do that. You do have to. Yeah, it has to be it done is a little bit of help. But why this is quite groundbreaking is because in certain areas, especially where there's a lot of um, Syrian refugees in the Middle East at the moment, uh, the ground and the conditions just aren't great for growing crops. Yeah. Mm. So there's lots of things that are, it's not possible to grow and they're quite dependent on importing those things in, etc. So yeah. um, it would it could really transform what is able to happen in those camps. Um, and yeah, so it's the piece says that you, they're going to try and grow tomatoes and peppers and aubergines and herbs. Um, and it's all coming from waste materials, which yeah. again is a really nice full circle story. I think that sounds time. amazing. So I, and I also think possibly slightly dangerous for you because you don't need anything to fuel any more of a houseplant obsession. If you find out you can <laughs> grow plants in your mattress, that could be I'm just going to be growing them around me, aren't yeah. I? I'm just going to be lying in the middle of a bunch of plants. I did have a look at that story, actually. And didn't it say that it uses a lot less water than normal fruit and vegetable growing in the ground? Yeah, I think it, uh, it's Which, 70 to 80% less water than yeah, planting straight into the soil. a big amount. If, yeah. you're living in some, if you're living somewhere where there's not a lot of rainfall or, and you need that for a lot of people who are living in one area, the fact that you can grow fruit and vegetables with not a lot of water, it's pretty cool. It's really, yeah. really I don't good. know how that would work, but I'm sure the science behind it is quite advanced. And so it seems a bit abstract when you first... Mm. When I first read it and it popped up in my Google alerts. (laughs) 
So I have just found the best thing to improve your wardrobe in time for summer. Tell us more. Okay, brace yourselves. It is a wearable garden that is nourished by your own bodily waste. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, including your sweat and um, your urine. Sorry, is it uh, April Fool's today or something? No, what is it is not April Fool's Day. So um, it's as what it sounds. It's a wearable garden that's a bit like a uh, sort of walking, edible, living gelée, pretty much. Um, <laughs> But it has urine on it. So it functions like hydroponics. So okay. um, this story's bizarre. <laughs> I think this might be the weirdest thing we've spoken about. Yes. Yeah, so the wearable garden allows a person to grow food directly on their bodies using green wall technology from um, a man called Patrick Blank, the inventor of the vertical garden. So um, I think oh, cool. it functions a bit like a vest that has like an inner line of so when you put it on your body it absorbs all of <laughs> I know it absorbs all of the moisture from your skin and it uses that as the water to grow things I am flabbergasted mainly that you would consider eating these things afterwards yeah that so you grow edibles on here? Yes, That's... 40 different fruits and vegetables have been grown on this <laughs> odd fashion farm. Uh, sorrel, cabbage, purple cool rabbi, uh, broccoli, <laughs> radish. So pretty much anything you want, you can grow on your own body. Are you, just, are you meant yeah. to grow stuff like... What am I trying to say? I, maybe to... the first question is why? Yeah. Okay, so... Surprisingly enough, it's not available on the market because I know it's more of a statement in terms of that we need to do more to react to climate change. So in the future, as a broad idea, there might become a point where we don't have enough land to grow fruits and vegetables. So we need to start thinking about alternative ways that we can grow fruit and veg. Maybe not not necessarily on our own bodies, but... um, Things like that. Well, wow. I mean... Laura's rarely stuck for words. Laura (laughs) is speechless right now. It apparently is very uncomfortable to wear. As we can all imagine. I imagine. Would you get like bits of foliage just sticking into places? But apparently it was meant to be uncomfortable because it makes us realise the kind of extremes we might have to go to to safeguard our survival. And that's not my quote. That is... The inventor of the vests, oh, cool. the um, assistant professor at the University of Southern California School of Architecture, who invented it. So do you put wow. it on before the seeds have germinated and then just wait a few months while? <laughs> I think so. I mean, there are photos of it, but it's very sort of developed in these photographs. I don't know how long you'd have to wear this for. We'll have to pop them on the socials. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll this is going straight up on social media so that everybody can enjoy looking at these slightly strange Images vests. of huge vests i would say though you'd never get hungry in a work meeting ever again no, you, you just pick a bit off and then there you go your lunch yeah be suited no more rumbling tummies <laughs> that yeah. is a very good positive of wearing this uncomfortable leafy costume well i love that story it's a good one um, i'm slightly confused about the whole eating something off that's potentially got somebody's i know and involved. so like 
I was going to say, would the per- would the wearer be the only person that eats food from it? But then I don't think I. No, because in eat. that main photo that you've got there, Rose, it's the woman is sharing finger food. Yeah, it's like <laughs> she's picked like canapes. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't yes. eat it directly from the source. You're not like munching off from somebody. No. <laughs> <laughs> just behind someone on an escalator <laughs> although technically i guess it could work like that and then there's a very um scientific diagram that involves an iv stand filled with fluid filtered <laughs> urine for irrigation i honestly don't really know how the urine plays a part in it because i'm guessing you would only i thought you might only need your sweat but apparently you take urine as well so well i mean you do sure. put it on compost don't you as an activator yeah Yes, so. it's a seed-filled felt. So if you want to do this yourself, get hold of some <laughs> seed-filled felt and you can make your own. Oh, dear. And please send in your photos if you yeah, do. Yeah, please do. do. <laughs> please. Um, that's completely bizarre. It Moving is. on to something less bizarre. Okay. So as the great pop band Aqua once said, life in plastic it's fantastic, but I'm going to have to say I don't agree. Right. Tell me more. <laughs> I've been thinking of that all day. That was um, a spectacular introduction. You're welcome. Um, but yeah, I saw this article on The Guardian about the plastic plant boom. Um, and it was talking about, and it's the second article I've read about this recently. And it was talking about how there's a real been a real surge in plastic plants and their popularity. That's such a surprise, though, isn't it? Considering the big move away from plastics in a lot of other areas. That's what I thought. Quite weird that people are actually embracing plastic plants rather than the real thing. Mm. Um, I don't really get it. So in this fir- the first article I read about it, um, I wanted to read out one of the lines, which I think is just kind of a bit funny. Um, they said, on attacking a scale of one to four Liberace, fake flowers have historically ranked high. Right up there with shag rugs and black velvet paintings. And among their many problems, imitation plants tend to collect dust, evoke images of corporate lobbies and takeout restaurants, and most significantly, never seem to trick the eye, either being too shiny and perfect or fraying at the edges. Yeah. Which I kind of agree with to an extent, and I don't really understand the plastic plant No, thing. No, I have to say they're not really to my taste. I get that they probably have purpose. their uses, but... I it, I have to say, I've seen a couple of things about this as well, and it does really surprise me. Yeah. I don't look at plastic plants and feel joy. <laughs> I know that's a really no, good point. I just feel a, a bit point. sad. Like, yeah. oh, you know when you stumble across something and you're like, oh my God, that's so beautiful. And then on closer inspection, yeah. you're like, oh wait, it doesn't count because it's fake. I feel the same way. Yeah. And this is controversial. When I go to Madame Two Swords. <laughs> <laughs> because you get there and you're like all excited you're like oh there's Cheryl Cole over there and then you get closer and it's like it just looks <laughs> like, like would, Michael Jackson but like surely gone you off would know that they're not real celebrities no you say this I know we've segued a <laughs> little bit know. here but you say that but I am terrible in those situations and I actually went to Madame Tussauds in summer yeah I know you did that's why I felt a bit controversial was, saying it but there was the first room you know for anyone who's been there semi-recently, with the people scattered through it. So you're walking around. Now I'm rubbish at recognising people. So I was just standing there looking really closely at this person's face being like, who's that? Then they moved. So they were just another person there. 
with a shiny face. <laughs> so I don't think that's a compliment. <laughs> as long as you didn't go and have your photo taken next to them. Yeah. No, no, it's just acting out having a photo taken next to fake celebs. But anyway, I, I totally know what you mean about the, the, the joy thing. And yeah. also the whole thing about there's part of me that thinks, oh, are people getting them as a time-saving thing if yeah. they don't have time mm. to care for plants? But then you've got to dust them. And to my mind, watering is more pleasurable than dusting every day yeah, of the week. I totally agree. Like, spend your time watering and keeping this plant alive, not having to clean and dust. And, and also, they fade really easily. In this, like, if you leave them on the windowsill, mm. they fade. Real plants but don't. I suppose we also have to look at the other side of the coin in things that they're using. Uh, I don't know because they keep their eyes peeled oh Mm, sounds good Um, one thing that made me laugh was this article that I read (laughs) and it's kind of fresh off us talking a couple of episodes ago about plastic plants and our thoughts on those we got quite opinionated um, about those I saw this really funny Metro article, which the headline is woman discovers plants she'd been watering for two years as plastic. <gasps> no. <laughs> and I wonder how many people have done for this. Two years. Two years is a long time. That's such a long time. And this is funny because at the weekend I went and saw my nan and it was like, oh, those are nice flowers over there, nan. And she said, yeah, funny story. Got them, put them in a nice little jar, started watering them, was watering them for a couple of weeks, thought these are still looking really good and fresh, <laughs> oh, realised no. they were plastic plants. She didn't know. God. So, us, <laughs> so is us this like an epidemic? Like, us being like, oh yeah, well we can tell the difference. They yeah. don't look as good. We're it's wrong. It's just not right. I'd be yeah. a bit miffed off because I would have thought, oh my God, my powers of growing and keeping things alive are just incredible because this yeah. plant I, yeah, looks I wouldn't as good have told as the anyone. day that I bought it. And then suddenly you're like, oh wait, it's fake. There were some great moments in there. Um, I think you can tell that some of them were recorded last thing on a Friday afternoon oh, where yeah, a week at I mean, work had got to us. And we cannot got hold hysterical. it together. Cannot hold it together. Are you still laughing? <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness me. But I think we have to say this series has been so much fun to make and really fun to revisit today. We'd like to thank all of our fantastic guests, obviously, who have shared tips, made us laugh and inspired us for what we do in our gardens. So I think we now need to go full on Oscar acceptance speech. Um, And we haven't rehearsed this. so (laughs) Let's see how that goes. But a big thank you to Charles Dowding. Rachel Barkley. Henry Hillier. Chris Collins. Kim Stoddart. Guy Barter. Annabelle Padwick. Hugh Richards Lee Connolly Ian Evenden Michelle Jones Lucy Start Robbie Knox and Katie Rushworth Yes, we did it. Thanks to all of those people for coming on and the good news is let's do it all again. There's more to come. So keep your eyes on our social media feeds to see which guests we have coming on the show in Series 2 and it will be coming soon. But for now, happy growing. Thanks again for listening to The Dirt in association with the Organic Gardening Catalogue. Whether you're an accomplished organic grower or just interested in learning about growing in a more natural way, 
The Organic Gardening Catalogue is for you. They're the one-stop shop for all things garden-related. They've got a fantastic selection of seeds, plants, tools and more. Be inspired by growing organic, whether it be in a garden, an allotment or even on a city balcony. Visit organiccatalogue.com for more. And don't forget to subscribe to The Dirt for free to make sure you never miss an episode. We'd love it if you rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to tell your allotment neighbours. We have some really exciting guests coming up and one of them could be you. Do you or someone you know have some great gardening advice, dirty gardening secrets or funny disasters on the plot? Email thedirt at growfruitandveg.co.uk to let us know. Plus, as a special treat for a monthly dose of trusted garden advice from the whole Grow Your Own team, we've got an exclusive offer just for the dirt listeners. Head to growfruitandveg.co.uk forward slash pod G, that's P-O-D-G, or call 0800 904 7000 and quote pod G to get three issues of Grow Your Own magazine for just £6. And every issue comes with a selection of free seeds. Check the episode notes for details and terms.